Did you know that truth can be alive? Turns out there are beliefs and ideas that aren't inherently alive and others that are. And the difference is love. Not just any love, divine love, mercy, peace, goodness. This love is the source of wisdom, justice, discernment, and you can connect to it inwardly right now. Here we are inside Off the Left Eye. Stick around to try a guided meditation on connecting to the presence of love and seeing the face of God. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg, surveys the three pillars of Swedenborg's rhetoric. Then, joined by Curtis Childs, director of Off the Left Eye, we travel to 1760 when Swedenborg took the risk and deliberately broke his anonymity this week in history. Experiment time! Thank you so much to everyone who responded to our listener feedback survey. We've gotten a lot of great responses, and we have some things cooking in response to your responses for future episodes of the podcast. And one thing we're going to get to try out right now, which is this idea with some more music, a visualization, but using Swedenborg and the ideas that we learn about the spiritual world from his works as a springboard for meditation or visualization, however you want to call it. So this past week on Chasing Swedenborg, we were chasing this idea from uh, Secrets of Heaven 8867 that says, one is not to think about truth that comes from anywhere but the Lord. And so you can listen to uh, or watch the Chasing Swedenborg on our YouTube channel or on the Swedenborg and Life podcast channel. And then catch the news from heaven from this week where Curtis digs in deeper to that number. And what does that really mean that one is not to think about truth that comes from anywhere but the Lord? And so as a little summary right now, this At this point where Swedenborg makes this statement, he is talking about the Ten Commandments, and it's him explaining why it says that you shall have no other gods before my face. And so, you know, piecing that apart the way Swedenborg does, gods, you shall have no other gods before my face. Swedenborg says gods are truths, which, again, that's a... uh, an interesting term, truths. You could sub the word beliefs or ideas, you know, things that we think are true. And the Lord's face, so you can't have any of these gods before my face. The Lord's face is love, mercy, peace, goodness, you know, the essence of everything, of divine love itself. That's what is reflected by the Lord's face. And so, When Swedenborg is saying, you know, that you're not meant to think about truth that comes from anywhere but the Lord, he says that for truth to be true or for some idea or belief to be true, there has to be life in it. And life really is divine love, this goodness. So it has to, its source needs to be from love. So if a belief isn't rooted in this goodness, then it isn't true. 
And so Swedenborg also digs into how it's possible to discern whether a truth is rooted in goodness or not, and even says that in the other life, this is just openly perceived. You can just tell right away whether something a spirit or angel is saying, whether it has that life in it from the Lord. And so how are we meant to know whether a belief or some idea or some thought that is passing through our mind, how do we know if that's truly alive, if it really aligns with and is from the you know, essence of, of divine love, which Swedenborg says is, you know, the classic love to the Lord and charity toward the neighbor. You know, like, does it have that? Is it connected in with the way that love really is the divine design? And so I'm going to offer this short meditation now that offers a pathway to have that kind of discernment, to connect in and contemplate whether a particular thought or idea is really connected with divine love. So if you're doing things when you're listening right now, you can just let your imagination follow along with what I say. Or if you have the ability to pause, you can sit down or lie down, even close your eyes and take a few centering breaths to just become present and even notice how you're feeling in your body right now. And you can consciously center and soften areas of tension. So maybe on your shoulders or your jaw, or notice how it feels in your abdomen. And so you're creating a softened container in your outer self to allow yourself to look inward and see things with your mind's eye. So last time on the podcast, we did a little meditation about how heaven's son is the Lord. And this week, we've learned that God's face is love, mercy, peace, and goodness. So not only is there this sense that you can connect to this beaming spiritual sun that is love and wisdom itself, But that essence has a face that you can look at and that can look at you. And so putting these two together right now, imagine a gleaming face that embodies love just right before you. And so that this face is the living embodiment of love and is gazing at you with that affection. That is the Lord. The term Lord might not fit, so you could consider this as just the face of the divine human one. And you can allow yourself to picture whatever face most easily reflects that love to you. It could be a person that is familiar to you, someone who embodies that love and mercy and peace, goodness. Maybe it's the face 
of God as you've seen God depicted that you have an affection for. Or maybe it's the face of a child. Whatever is easiest to connect to, seeing a face before you that embodies love. And so you're picturing this face and it is shining and looking at you into your eyes with so much love. This is the face of the divine. And you may notice that you have some resistance in yourself about feeling this loving gaze. And so you can gently invite places in your body that are tensing with resistance to soften, to open up to the possibility of receiving this loving gaze. Now pick one thing, maybe it's a belief, an idea, something you're believing about yourself or about life or about someone else that may be weighing on your mind. Maybe it's some kind of judgment or an experience of shame or maybe it's an issue related to some relationship or your work. Bring that idea to the forefront of your mind so that it too is within this loving gaze. So that it sits before the face of God that is love, mercy, and peace. And then notice. See how this loving gaze would help you hold whatever the thought or belief is. Perhaps it resonates with the love that is streaming in from the divine's gaze, and it's open to it. Or if it's not based in the reality of love, or if it doesn't align with it, then what would need to change for it to open to that love? Perhaps aspects of this thought dissolve entirely. And you can ask yourself, what would you believe about the issue of whatever this thought is in the presence of this love? What new insights come when placed before the loving gaze of the divine? This shining face of the embodiment of love perhaps gives you a new way, a new perspective that is genuinely true about whatever the issue is because it aligns with the essence of love. Now you can let go of the imagery let it all dissolve so that you can just be present to how it feels in your body right now. 
There is nothing that separates you from that loving gaze. It is within you, and it can be your guide in discerning what is true. What is truly alive, because it comes from and aligns with divine love. So if you haven't already, you can open your eyes and come more fully into the room that you're in and into an awareness of just the life that is going on around you. And so you can come back to this exercise anytime that something difficult is arising that could use that, the support of that loving gaze to help bring clarity. So now, I hope that was useful and upcoming on the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel. We are having a break week this next week, but then it'll be followed by a Swedenborg and Life show about baptism. Does baptism matter? We're going to be interrupting our Chasing Swedenborg stint for a moment while we do a couple of shows, first on baptism, followed by another one on the Holy Supper. So we're going to be looking into the nature of ritual just around the time of Easter, and then we'll be picking up again with Chasing Swedenborg after that. So now, as usual, at the end of the show, we'll be meeting up with Curtis and Jonathan to see where Swedenborg was this week in history. But first, let's go visit the desk of the NCE. It is the NCE Spotlight. Let's shine our spotlight on the discoveries being made in the work of the NCE. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. It is great to have you here. And I'm so curious, what what are we, what discoveries have been being made in your work lately? (laughs) Well, one of the works that I've been editing is called Survey in the New Century Edition. It used to be titled Brief Exposition, Sumaria Expositio. And uh, I would have to say it's one of Swedenborg's least known hits. Hmm. It's a work that very little attention has been paid to in the last couple of hundred years. (laughs) It doesn't have the catchiest of names. (laughs) True. And uh, But it's fascinating. I've really been enjoying it. I actually got to translate it a few years ago, and then I've been going over my translation cool. because we may be publishing it not too long from now. Exciting. And so swinging through it again, and it is quite an amazing little book. It's only 67 pages long in the first edition. Mm-hmm. Latin pages, because Latin doesn't have the or of or things like that, it always gets longer when you stick it into English, but... Um, it, it's it's brief but punchy, hmm. and the date on the work uh, Swedenborg starts publishing in 1749 of these theological works. I mean, right, and finishes in 1771. So you have a 22 year span in there, give or take. And this one is from all the way at that other end of 1769. It's just Mm. two years before his final work and actually anticipates True Christianity, which is the last major work that he published. 
and he says that he had promised true Christianity in the back of marriage love. He had said, I'm going to give it to you in two years. And now the following year, he realizes it's going to take a little longer than that. So I'd better put out a little something Hmm. so that people know what this new church is and how it differs from uh, existing Christianity. And it's the clearest kind of statement of sort of set them up and knock them down. There's something to offend everyone in there. (laughs) And um, uh, a lot of astonishing things. What I've been particularly focusing on, it it just got me thinking, how do you, you know, what is persuasive? How Mm. do you convince somebody? I think from what Swedenborg says himself there's really no absolute way. You know, you can't, I don't know, like, you know, Jedi mind trick, you know, just stick ideas in other people's heads. There are various ways that advertising and so on tries to do that. But yeah. but um, uh, there's no really great way to do it because of this freedom clause that's that's in there, <laughs> freedom and rationality. Yeah. And so... I've thought about one of Swedenborg's most astounding claims is that he had this long spiritual experience, years and years and years of it. And I became interested in the fact that in his early theological works, he plays that card often and early. Mm -hmm. In fact, before you even crack the book, when you just see the title of it, Uh, You know that Secrets of Heaven is from things heard and seen. You know, it it Mm -hmm. says that right in the title. Heaven and Hell also uses that phrase. New Jerusalem is from things heard, if memory serves. Other planets is from things heard and seen. Uh, There are five out of six of the early works, Secrets of Heaven and the five works of 1758, that have spiritual experience right in the title. You don't even get to the first word on the page before you know that this person is having experiences. Mm. But that's interesting to me because for someone else to say, I'm having experiences, well, I don't know. You sort of have to evaluate it for yourself, don't you? If what they told you was just crazy to you, would you believe it? You know, right. is that convincing? Just because you, you say you experienced it. I don't know if you experienced it or you didn't. And I don't know what that means for my life. I didn't experience it. So I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's what's so great in this this day and age of more openness about near-death experiences where people have experienced these kind of things. And I think that does give Swedenborg's works greater credibility because uh, a lot of what he says aligns very well with that experience. And he has a kind of formula that he uses early in his books once you crack them open. Not all of them, but a number of them. In Secrets of Heaven, in Heaven and Hell, in Other Planets, he'll say right at the beginning, I've been having these experiences. They've been going on for years. Often he'll mention how many years. I think in Heaven and Hell he says 13 years. I think in Other Planets he says 12 years now. Uh, at the beginning of Marriage Love in 1768, he has a similar statement in number one. And he says, for 25 years, I've been having these experiences. And and so in a number of works, he leads with that card, or it's mm-hmm. le- at least a card that he plays early 
in the hand. But I'm interested in what goes on in survey. I've just been trying to figure out what is the role of experience in these works because it's a very important element, but it's not the only element. Mm-hmm. Swedenborg uses two other legs on the stool, so to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's his own experiences, which he can't prove to you that he had them, but he can talk about it, and it gives him a kind of authenticity. It also kind of leavens his works because they're sort of interesting because our mind is just set up to, you know, love hearing stories and things like that. And so here he's telling stories like, oh, what happened? You know, I'm interested, you know. And uh, so it adds a kind of seasoning to it. There are two other things that he relies on very heavily. And one is what I would call rational argumentation mm-hmm. for, for which the soundbite would be, does that make sense? Now, that's something he can't control, what makes sense to you, to the reader, you know. But he'll put something out there like, here's an argument. Consider this. Consider that. And he'll appeal to the reader's, uh, you know, rationality and sometimes the reader's experience as well. The third leg of the stool is scripture because in the Europe of his times, not universally, but to a lot of people, that was God's holy truth, you know. So if you can show it to me in the Bible, you'll have a much better time trying to talk to me about this than if you just tell me you had an experience that I can't verify independently. Yeah. And uh, so he's got a difficult job there, too, because his view of Scripture was changed by his spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. And some people will think, well, you were talking to evil spirits and they misled you. And, you know, that's kind of a common charge among some people about Swedenborg. But, um, but through these three, he sets up an interesting kind of, you know, that's how he ar- argues his case, I think. Yeah. Does this make sense? How does this fit with this scripture? And let me tell you about an experience I had. So to get back to survey, what does he do in survey? I was just interested in the role of spiritual experience and how these three fit together. Yeah. And what he does is he quotes from the Council of Trent, which is Catholic doctrine. Uh, He quotes from the Book of Concord, which is Protestant, you know, Lutheran doctrine. Mm -hmm. He quotes from the uh, Synod of Dort and the Belgic Confessions and uh, some other things that I believe are Calvinist, if I've got this all straight in my head. Again, I think in survey, he's talking to the clergy. In the 67 pages of survey, he quotes or cites Scripture 1,298 times. <laughs> so it seems as though Scripture is a pretty major part of his argumentation in there. And some of them are long quotes, you know. Yeah. So where does spiritual experience come in when he's talking to that group? Well, it has 120 section numbers in the work, if you can picture that. And yep. the first time he openly mentions his spiritual experiences is in section 85. Hmm. It's down at the end. It's in, and, and the end of the book has a bunch of spiritual experiences in it. But hmm. he doesn't lead with that card. Yeah. He, he plays a lot of, you know, several rounds or hands or whatever you want to call it without ever playing that card. There are certain little hints that if you know he's having spiritual experiences, you would see, oh, I see, that's probably where he gets that. But he doesn't even say it. Yeah. 
Hmm. He only uses the word experience of himself six times in the work compared to these almost 1,300 scripture references. So it's not much about his experience. And instead of this usual formula where you say, by the grace of the Lord, I've been having these experiences for X number of years now, and this is why, and all that. Right. No. All he says is he's in a, in a particular section where he's talking about the fact that people who believe in faith alone, which was most of his audience, uh, are meant by the goats in Scripture— and that, that, those were fighting words. <laughs> Back then, yeah. People knew what that was. It's not good. It's not good to be a goat. And, and then he just throws in in section 85, my spiritual experiences have taught me that people in faith alone actually look like goats in the other world. You oh, know, well. Nothing about how many years I've been having this experience or you know, whether Burn. the Lord granted yeah, this just... access or anything. It's just like, yeah, people like that look like goats in the other world. And wow. I was also interested in, in who he thinks these experiences will convince. And there is uh, talk about the, the, his experiences being convincing, but there's only one person who is convinced by them, and that's Swedenborg himself. Mm. It's very interesting. And it seems like when he started, he wasn't convinced because he right. says, through an abundance ex- of experience, I have been convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is the case. Yes. That's a powerful statement. But he doesn't say, I expect my experience to transfer to you. You know, you need to buy it. I'm just telling you, I had the privilege of having the experience, and I'm convinced. For Take it or leave it, you know, for what it's right. worth. And um, a final thought about all this is just that I wonder whether— because he started putting his name on title pages in 1768 with Marriage Love, and then he puts his name on the title page of this work, mm-hmm. Survey, he has been breaking his anonymity now for, for nine years, uh, first in Sweden and then in other parts of Europe. Does he not need to even play that card? It's just an interesting thought. Oh, Does his yes. audience already know, Swedenborg, the spiritual experience guy, Great, he doesn't right. need to introduce, by the way, my name's Emmanuel and I've been having spiritual, you know, he doesn't have to do that little speech. I just oh. wonder, maybe it was so widely known by then that he actually didn't have to play that card. Oh, fascinating. That is so interesting to think about. And I don't know if I would have ever quite put those pieces together, but I love hearing about that Uh study from you and I'm excited because we're going to get to go where we're going this week in history is back to the early days of when Swedenborg's uh, anonymity was changing when word was starting to get on the street that hey there's this guy Swedenborg and he has spiritual experiences so ah you're kidding that's awesome thank you so much Jonathan and let's go on now to 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 that week in history to study Swedenborg's shift in anonymity. Hello, hello, are you there? Hey there. Yeah, we're here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. Hey, Jonathan and Curtis. Um, it, How are you? It's good. that time again. I'm great, and I'm really glad to get to be here with you guys. 
and to go on our little time traveling adventure, get into our special machine and whisk away to this week in history. And it's a fascinating week for Swedenborg, uh, where it is really this week in history was the tipping point for Swedenborg's shift in anonymity. And Mm. even being able to pinpoint the day when Swedenborg went viral in Sweden, at least. Um, Yes. Which also that's important. It was Sweden, not everywhere else. He's like, there's strategy involved. And we did explore some background to this in episode two of the podcast that was called Marriage Work After Death and Swedenborg's Anonymity Change. And also, if you want to get into all the details yourself, you can read the introduction written by Dr. Jonathan Rose to the volume of the shorter works of, the, of 1763. And, and so, but what we're getting to dig into now is that this week in history on March 5th, in 1760 was when Swedenborg had this visit from a certain person named Count Carl Gustav Tessin. And sounds like he's from Despicable Me or something. <laughs> yeah, he sounds yeah, important. If you've got that name, you're important. And so Count Carl Gustav Tessin on March 5th went and had a visit with Swedenborg. So now freeze frame there. He's this gentleman coming. They're sitting down in the sitting room. Now, zoom out. And the context you need to know is that the year before, Swedenborg left London and he went to Sweden. And part of that context is that uh, the Seven Years' War was going on. Am I right that it had started by then, Jonathan? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So How war long is was the Seven Years' War, by yeah. the way? <laughs> Good question. Actually, believe it or not, it was nine years. <laughs> But you never know. It's branding. It's all about branding. It is, right? That's Seven right. Years War. <laughs> so he had to leave England or we we get we theorize or hypothesize or something that he th- that was sort of pressure for him to get back to Sweden because they were at war and they weren't so friendly with England at that moment. So he gets to Sweden and he has that fun moment that we also explored in an earlier podcast where he uh People witnessed his clairvoyance about the great Stockholm fire. And that maybe created some stir and maybe sort of set some groundwork for this. But we have the evidence that we'll explore this week where this moment in history, this visit with Count Carl Gustav Tessin was the tipping point for Swedenborg to go viral. So it's like the kind of the, the Gustav bump. The Gustav bump. That's what we're exploring today. So who was this Gustav uh, Tessin? And he uh, was a a confidant and advisor to Queen Lovisa Ulrika, who was the queen earlier. She's not the queen currently in 1760 in Sweden, but she had been. And he was also around that time the president of chancery, if I'm saying that right. And so that's sort of the equivalent of the prime minister. I'm running on your research here, Jonathan, for (laughs) for the intro. Yeah. (laughs) And he was a member of the Privy Council. He was an ambassador. He was the tutor to the future king, Gustav III. So like he's he knows people uh, and he's involved in Swedish government. But even by the seven, in the 1750s, he sort of alienated himself from the 
from at that time the current king and queen of Sweden and had withdrawn from public life. But he's still kind of, you know, he's still connected. It's a small world. And uh, I don't know what led him to calling up Swedenborg and asking for a visit, but he has this visit on March 5th. And we know about it because he wrote about it in Tessin wrote memoirs, um, his own memoirs. And so he accounts or uh, recounts this this visit that he had. And by the way, his um, his memoir writing was right up there with Swedenborg. I think there are 29 volumes of his diaries that survive. Oh, my. <laughs> wow. That's impressive. See, this is why we have you here, Jonathan. You know things that I don't know. You and, are an expert in that guy's diaries. Yeah. <laughs> we could have, we, where was Tessine this week in history? We could just have a whole <laughs> spinoff show. Um, they could go from a niche audience to a really niche audience. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, Tessine, now we're back to our freeze frame. It's Tessine. He's sitting down in the sitting room with Swedenborg. And Swedenborg or maybe Tessine asks, I'm not sure, but they get to talking about Swedenborg's spiritual experiences. And Swedenborg tells him, I've been having these spiritual experiences for 16 years. And even tells Tessine that I spent this whole day in the spiritual world with a mutual acquaintance of theirs who had died like the week before or something. His name was um, Ehrenpois, if I'm saying that right. And he tells Tessine these details like, oh, yeah, Aaron Boyce, he's serving as a judge in the society he lives in now. Uh, and, and he shares some other things about his perspective on the afterlife. Um, and and then he even predicts to Tessine, he says, you know, in the spiritual world, you are going to get uh, appointed to the Privy Council in the afterlife in some society um, and sort of predicts that for Tessine. And and even sort of funnily, Tessine is like, oh, no, I've had enough. You know, I, I hope not because I'm, I'm done with that. Uh, you know, he, he'd done enough, dealt enough with like privy councils in, in this world. And I think Swedenborg said it was going to be immediate, didn't he? Wasn't there some suggestion in there that like yeah. right after he dies, he's going to be back in, you know, yeah. at full throttle? Well, like people have, they have plans for him or something. So that means that, I mean, look at that. It's not that the afterlife, everyone's just waiting for what God says to do. I mean, that must be the Swedenborg is hearing people in that society say that they have these plans to appoint him, right? It seems right. like this is very much a appearance of people doing things. And interesting that they're, it's almost like the like the NBA draft, that the, that the people in that society know <laughs> yes. who's about to become eligible, and then we're going we're gonna to pick this kid up. We think it could be really good. That's hilarious. I know. It's well, astounding, that's, isn't it? Yeah. That was the aha to me about with like reading this little bit of history was like, people get put to work right away. Like this guy, Aaron Poise, had died the week before, or even if it was a matter of days, I forget. No, it's maybe about a week. And... Um, and now he's like, oh, he's serving as a judge in his society. Like, well, that was a quick, you know, uh, in training, <laughs> like getting on board. Like, here's how you be a budge, judge. This is how courts work in the afterlife or whatever. Yeah. Hey, how, how come you can't sentence me? Uh, you, you were a, a human on the earth like five days ago. 
Right. So it's so different. Your robe doesn't yeah. even fit. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even realize that your house reflects your mind yet. Exactly. But here, go to work. We've got work for you to do. So that's, I think that's amazing. So, so this uh, Tessine, he's amazed hearing all these things from Swedenborg. And he goes, tells his friend uh, Tilos, who is also in the government in Sweden, and he's a counselor on the Board of Mines, which is a special position to have. And his friend Tilos writes a letter to somebody else. And in this letter from Tilos that we have, it sort of gives us a window into seeing how this was this moment of a a real turning point for Swedenborg's um, anonymity. So he says, Some years ago, I had the honor to take part in a correspondence on magic and mystical philosophy. We have now got hold of the right man for this purpose. So he's writing to a friend about this. Tilas is. A very short time ago, the whole town was almost in alarm about it, and the affair spread surprisingly fast, for not a breath was heard respecting it before my departure. So that's where he mentions, like, this is this whole big buzz. It is Swedenborg who has communication with the dead whenever he chooses, and who can inquire after his former departed friends when it pleases him, whether they are in heaven or hell, or whether they hover about in a third nondescript place. And then jumping down, he says, All this he reports without a screw seeming to be loose in the clockwork in any other respect. (laughs) (laughs) He has also written a book upon communication with spirits, which has been printed in England. I have not yet seen it. Uh, Nor would I have lent my credence to all of this stuff had I not heard it yesterday from Count Tessin's own mouth. So there you go. This guy Telos is saying he hears from Tessine, uh, I heard all this stuff. Have you heard of Swedenborg? Have you heard of Swedenborg? And it's this whole big buzz where everybody's talking about him. Can I, can I get that on my LinkedIn profile? Like not not a screw loose otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should quote this. We should stick this on our website. Like <laughs> reference this famous governor. He, this is what he said about Swedenborg. <laughs> you know, back <laughs> back in the 1700s, maybe, but still. I'm pretty sure that. Um... Swedenborg must have contacted Count Tessin. They knew each other. They worked in the government together. So the fact that Tessin, the first thing he writes in his diary was, I started talking to Swedenborg about heaven and hell. Now, Swedenborg published Heaven and Hell anonymously. How does Tessin know that Swedenborg wrote that? And and what is Tessin doing at his house? You know, I think Mm -hmm. Swedenborg must have extended an invitation and thought about, okay, I'm going to start at the top, because as you said, Tessin was about as high in the nobility as you could get before crossing over into the monarchy itself. Mm. There's sort of a three-pronged approach. He talks about his spiritual experiences. He talks about his books that have the spiritual experiences in them. You know, so people are getting that message of, oh, if you want to know more about these spiritual experiences, Mm. read Heaven and Hell. And he gives a little spiritual gossip about, (laughs) you know, people they know who've just died and what's going on with them. So, and even what's going to happen to them themselves when they pass on. That is just amazing. And that makes sense that, that, yeah, so Swedenborg would be the one going after Tessin saying, hey, I want to show you this book I got or that I recently published or something anyway, and invites him over and, and kind of has this, this exchange. 
That, it doesn't sound yeah. like an accident, does it? You know, like yeah. he's thought about it, and and here's what he's going to do. That's a PR influencer campaign. Yep. He is a one man operation. I'm going to write the books, and now I got to get somebody interested in them. Mm-hmm. I think it's T. Loss who says at one point, "This is known to thousands here," something like that. Yes. And, and so I I don't think he's exaggerating it. You know, what an interesting story. It spread like wildfire in Stockholm. This was a, a very interesting beginning right right here on March the 5th. Yes. So March 5th, 1760, Swedenborg is having this conversation with Tessine, and it creates a stir. We learn that people get put to work right away in the afterlife, <laughs> and, and people start to know about Swedenborg in Sweden. Well, thank you so much, Curtis and Jonathan. It's always great to talk to you. Great fun. Great to talk to you. And I'm just feeling like, go get up, Swedenborg. I hope that that, that campaign you just launched really gets the books out there. Yes, right. We're going to get back in our little uh, time traveling machine, come back to the present moment, and keep making Swedenborg viral in yeah. the world. All right. I'm Chelsea Odner, and we'll be here with you next week inside Off the Left Eye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. Subscribe to Inside Off the Left Eye to never miss when a new episode comes out. And while you're at it, rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. That would be a huge help in helping others find the show. If you're hungry for more, you can explore all our spiritually enriching content at our website, offthelefteye.com. I mean it when I say thank you for listening. (laughs) 